Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn of Houston Public Media. And I'm Eric Skelly of Rocco, River Oaks Chamber Orchestra. And this time we're talking about Mieczysław Weinberg's The Passenger, Eric, which is an opera with quite a backstory. Yeah, it's new and it's not. <laughs> it's actually, you know, a half a century old, but it's new to us because its premiere was delayed. The opera is based on a novel that was based on a play. The play was A Passenger from Cabin Number 45 mm-hmm. by Sofia Posmich, written in 1959. And she turned the play into a novel in 1962. And then Weinberg turned it into an opera. I think he wrote it in 1967-68. Right, with a libretto by Alexander Medvedev. And... It was suppressed. The opera was suppressed by the Soviet authorities, and it never received its premiere. Its Until. first, <laughs> its first fully staged performance was in 2010 yeah. at the Bregenz Festival in Austria. Its first performance ever was in a concert version in Moscow in 2006. And it's since been making its way around the world. It's had its American premiere in Houston. It's been in, in quite a few other places now, and it's it's uh, it's garnering a lot of interest because it's a uh, it's an extraordinary piece. I think of it just in, in, in my for my own personal terms. I think of it as being somewhat like uh, Poulenc's Dialogues of the Carmelites, a fictional story based on historical events and very dark <laughs> historical events, carrying quite an impact. The Passenger, both as an opera, as a novel, and as a play, revolves around the Holocaust yeah. and the death camps during the Second World War, the Nazi death camps. And Sofia Posmich herself was a Holocaust survivor. Right. Although I'm not sure that she is actually Jewish, mm. but she survived the camps. She survived Auschwitz which is where much of this opera takes place. And this is based, as you said, on there is a, a kernel of truth here in that is is based on something that did happen to Sofia Posmich. Right. That is that years after she was liberated from Auschwitz, she was in Paris, I believe, mm-hmm. and she thought that she saw one of the overseers one of the young female guards that had been one of her overseers while she was in Auschwitz. Right. And that is what sparked the play and then the novel. What she did is flipped it round. Isn't that interesting that she yes, did that? that's so interesting. That you, that you see it through... The, the frame story is, is told through the, the lens of the guard. Right, right. Who thinks that she sees someone who was an inmate when she was uh, a guard at Auschwitz. And in fact, not only does she think she sees her, but she thought that she had sent her to her death. Right. And so there is that sort of horror. There is that sort of added element of of mystery. Uh Uh-huh. The sort of Edgar Allan Poe telltale heart element to it. Is she alive? Is she not? Did she really see her? And the opera never really tells you. It could be, you know, it could be that she actually did survive, or it could be that we have an unreliable narrator, and we don't really know. The opera is set on two levels. 
The upper level is the deck of an ocean liner. And as the opera opens, Volta and his wife, Lisa, are on this transatlantic liner on their way to Brazil. A German couple, he is a diplomat. They are sailing to Brazil for him to take up a new diplomatic post. And while on the ship, Lisa sees this passenger whom she believes is one of the prisoners that she was in charge of in Auschwitz. And they have this whole backstory. And what the opera does is takes us back to Auschwitz and then we move backwards and forwards between Auschwitz and the ocean liner. Right. So the upper deck is the ocean liner. The lower deck is Auschwitz, the death camp. Right. And and we're hearing this backstory because Lisa now feels compelled to explain to her husband why she had this really extreme reaction to seeing this person on the upper deck of the ship. And so she's relating the story to her husband. And this is the first time he's hearing it. He did not know that Lisa was a guard in one of the camps. Yeah. So as the opera opens, Act One, we are on that transatlantic liner. And Volta and Lisa are there. And Lisa thinks she sees this passenger and, of course, is shaken by it because she sees this passenger whom she believes is this girl, Marta, that she knew from the camp. She was the overseer to Marta. They were both girls at about the same age, right? sort of late teens, early 20s. And she thinks that Marta was sent to her death. And, of course, now she's shocked not only to see Marta, but, of course, it brings back all of those memories which she'd suppressed. Which she had suppressed. And she then has to explain herself to her husband, and that causes a great deal of consternation on his part. Scene two, we are taken to the concentration camp. So we're first introduced to Lisa and her fellow guards, and they're talking about they're talking about the, for the prisoners and, and uh, how best they can control them and keep them in line. And uh, there's some some male officers there, and they're kind of talking. They're drinking a lot. They're talking about how how little there is for them to do, but they're they feel lucky that they're not that they're there and not uh, at the Russian front. <laughs> and so that leads into the next scene, scene three, in which we're introduced to the prisoners of the camp. Right, and we are in the female barracks, if right. you like, the female right. dormitory, and we are introduced to some of the different women in the camp. And they're from different backgrounds and different origins, and they each talk about their lives. And then a Russian prisoner is brought in who has been beaten and tortured by the guards. And the capo in charge of the barracks has discovered a note. And Lisa asks Marta, to translate it because it's in it's in Russian or it's in Polish or the not German not German <laughs> and what Marta does is she delivers it as if it were a love letter to her from her lover mm-hmm. Tadeusz Tadeusz who is also a prisoner elsewhere in the camp 
because the but men and the women are separated. They're completely separated. She hasn't seen him in years, literally. And Lisa buys it. Lisa buys the fake translation that Marta is giving her of this letter because if Marta told her what the letter really says, that would be the end of the Russian woman. And then we come back to Lisa and Walter on the ship and they are still coming to terms with the big news that Ugh. Lisa was a guard Auschwitz. in Auschwitz. End of Act One. End of Act One. At the beginning of Act Two, we are back in Auschwitz. And the female prisoners are in one of those rooms sorting through the belongings of newly arrived prisoners. And they are uh, sorting them into, you know, different piles, you know, suitcases, clothes, spectacles, etc. Well, and they're not just newly arrived, but also dead. murdered. Dead, mm-hmm. dead prisoners. Yeah. An officer arrives and asks for a violin. Hey, we need a violin because the commandant of the camp wants one of the prisoners to play him his favorite waltz. Who is that prisoner? Tadeusz. Tadeusz. And yeah. he is sent to collect the violin. And, and when he comes to collect the violin, he sees Marta. Yeah, his beloved Marta. And so they are reunited. They've been apart. They haven't seen each other for like two years. And, and Lisa decides that she's going to allow this reunion to happen because by doing so, she thinks that she can more easily control Marta with promises of more time with Tadeusz. And this is going back to uh, Act 1, where the officers are talking about how to control the prisoners. Yeah. And Lisa sees this as a way, if she can manipulate Marta, that's a way of controlling the prisoners. Because Marta is, is um, in her eyes, a, a leader amongst the prisoners. So she feels like if she can control Marta, the rest will follow along. In scene two, Tadeusz is, he's working as a silversmith in the camp, creating these pieces for the officers. These are sort of private requests that the officers, because he has this skill, they're getting him to use it for their benefit. Right. And Lisa sees a sketch that Tadeusz has done of a piece that he's working on. And she recognizes the face in the sketch as the face of Marta. And she sees this as an opportunity to try to play both ends of this, of this relationship and try to control Tadeusz as well as Marta. And she tries to, uh, I mean, very blatantly control Tadeusz and he just basically turns her down flat. She offers him the opportunity to see Marta. And he says, Mm-mm, not interested. I don't want to be indebted to you. Right. Yeah. Scene three, it is Marta's birthday in the camp, and she sings this aria, an aria to death. Mm. Happy birthday to you, death. Yeah. I mean, just even stop and think about that for a second. And as manipulative as ever, Lisa tells Marta that she has seen Tadeusz and offered him the opportunity of getting to see Marta again, and he turned her down. Because Lisa thinks that will ingratiate Marta to her even more. But it doesn't. In fact, Marta respects Tadeusz even more for his integrity 
uh, understands why he did that, yeah, it, it has the exact opposite effect of, of what Lisa intended. The women all begin to sing about what they will do when they return home, when they get out of the camp and they go home after the war. Even though they know perfectly well that most of them will not ever get out of the camp. And that is reinforced because immediately after that, there is this death house election. And the women are led away as their numbers are called, led away presumably to their death. And strangely enough, even though her number has not been called, Marta follows the women whose numbers have been called. But Lisa stops her and taunts her and says, no, 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 it's not your time yet. But your time will come. Will come. And her final taunt to Marta is, you will live to see Tadeusz's concert where he plays for the commandant before he too is then sent to the death house because of what I will tell them. Scene four, and we are back on the boat on the way to Brazil. Walter and Lisa are still unsure about whether the passenger that Lisa has seen and has upset her so much is really Marta. Lisa has actually tried to find more out about this woman and bribed a porter to get more information, learning that first first she thinks the woman is British, and then... The porter returns and tells her, well, she's traveling via a British passport, but she's not really British. And in fact, as they speak, she's up on deck and she's reading a book in Polish. Ooh. <laughs> not looking good. And Walter offers to go up to her and to find out whether or not this is Marta, whether or not this is the person that Lisa thinks that she is. But then they think, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> We're letting this get out of hand. What if she's not? <laughs> and then they both decide that they're going to go up to the salon and they're going to uh, join in the dancing. There is a, a jazz ensemble that's playing. Right. And they go upstairs to dance. And while they're doing that, this woman, who may or may not be Marta, goes up to the band leader and gives him a request. What do you suppose it is? <laughs> it's the Auschwitz Kommandant's favorite waltz. <laughs> Whoa. And all that does, of course, is just reinforce Lisa's fears about who this passenger really is. And she is absolutely apoplectic at this point. I mean, she just retreats, backs away from the whole the whole scenario and starts to to go backwards down the stairs of the uh, of the deck, uh, at which point we go backwards in time again, back to Auschwitz. Back to Auschwitz, back to the lower level. And Tadeusz is dragged before the commandant and is told to play him his favorite waltz. But he doesn't. He refuses. He refuses and he plays the Chacon from Johann Sebastian Bach's Partita, Number two for violin, mm-hmm. which is this sort of defiant musical protest. And it's so emblematic oh. of everything. I mean, it's that defiance, 
But we have this high art, in many respects, the apotheosis of Western art. Of musical achievement. Which uh, is thrown in the face of these degenerate Nazis. Mm-hmm. And completely destroys Lisa's whole plan. Because the false report that she was going to make about Tadeusz to get back at Marta is not going to happen because Tadeusz has done it for himself. Pretty much. He took fate into his own hands and, and, and pronounced his own death sentence. His violin is taken from him. It's smashed and he is dragged off to his death. And Lisa sees all this taking place while she's still... In the present. In the present, on the deck, in her ball gown. Right. Having left the salon. And then we have the epilogue. The stage becomes completely empty, apart from Lisa, who is still in her ball gown. And she slumps down, sitting on the floor. Almost catatonic, really, at this point. And Marta enters. And she does not look like she did in the camp, because she's not wearing the prisoner uniform. Her head is not shaved. She's got a full head of hair. And she sings. She sings the aria that really is at the centre of this whole piece. And that is that the dead should never be forgotten. She sings that the dead can never be forgotten and that the leases of the world can never be forgiven. That's the final seal on this. And, of course, this tortures Lisa even more because she realizes that she's never going to have the closure from Marta that she really wants to be able to put the past behind her, walk away, and not have to worry about it anymore. Because we still don't know whether Marta is actually alive or not. We don't know that, and neither does she. And regardless of whether Marta is alive or whether this is all, you know, a figment of her imagination, whether she sees Marta on people that even aren't, that aren't Marta at all, it doesn't matter because it's always going to come back and confront her through the rest of her life. She can never bury the past and so, she can never be forgiven. And so it's irrelevant whether the passenger is actually Marta or not. Exactly. Musically, Eric, this is not the sort of the lush tones of, of Wagner or Richard Strauss. No, it's a it's a spare orchestration, and it's uh, you know it's very appropriate to its subject matter. I mean, it's not like it's not like twelve tone or serialism by any means, but it's also it's not an opera where you'll come out humming, humming the, hit the tunes, tunes, right? And yet, it's very powerful. It conveys this story. Perfectly. Mieczysław Weinberg's The Passenger. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.